Uh, if you'll open up to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, Malachi, or as uh, my daughter has called it for most of her life, Malachi. So if you will open up to Malachi and go from there. Uh, this is the final book of the Old Testament. A uh, hundred years before it was written, God had allowed the Babylonians to destroy Israel and to take uh, the, the nation of Israel, the people, captive and put them in exile. Uh, after which, he did allow a, a remnant, a, a small group of the nation's faithful, uh, to return to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the city, to begin rebuilding the wall, to begin rebuilding the temple. The problem was that even in uh, the, mind, the midst of all of that, the roller coaster that is the nation of Israel, um, the people uh, like they normally do. They returned to their bad habits. Uh, they they had a lack of spiritual discipline. Again, there's that discipline, discipleship that changes us who we are. Uh, a couple examples of what they were not doing. They're off. They were not taking the 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 role of tithes and offerings seriously. Uh, worship had become routine, if not mundane. Uh, they were just going through the motions. Another very specific thing that was happening was the marriage covenant was dissolving. Uh, they were intermarrying with other other faiths, uh, but they were also uh, getting divorces very kind of willy nilly. Uh, they were just divorcing and remarrying, divorces and divorcing and remarrying, uh, kind of at a, an unheard of pace uh, in the in the nation's history. Um, Malachi's prophecy in his book is, is going to point to the Messiah, and it's going to speak of, he's really going to emphasize sinners being reconciled, uh, sinners being equipped for obedience, not just being called to obedience, but being equipped to obedience. Uh, and then also not just the fact that they're worshiping the wrong way, but it's kind of like the equipped to obedience, not just being called to obedience, but being equipped, being called to worship, but also being an, an able, uh, enabled to worship the, the way that we are supposed to. The first thing I'd like you to do is I'd like you to read one verse. I'd like you to read Malachi verse chapter 1, verse 11. And I want you to answer question 1 with that. On your mark, somebody at your table, read it aloud, and then uh, somebody else ask the questions in question 1. On your mark, set, go. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place, because my name will be great among the nations. What's the first thing you notice about what the Lord just said? He repeated something twice. Anytime the Lord says something twice, might be a little important. Um, and, and this is not a question. There's not a question mark here. Um, here's what's happening. Uh, Malachi is, God through Malachi is getting straight to the point, and, and God is talking to the priests here. God is talking to the religious leaders here. And, and, and you got to always look at a verse in context. So let's go backwards just a little bit. He's talking about sacrifices, and he's talking about just them getting into the, doing things wrong. But then he says this in verse 10, I wish one of you would shut the temple door so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. Come on. Hey, just go ahead and shut your doors because what you're doing is useless. I just wish you'd go ahead and call it a day. And then he goes on to say, my name will be great among the nations. The question that I had to ask was, how does this happen? What role do God's people play in making sure that this happens? And, and the truth is, we don't. His, his name will be great among the nations. Why? Because he's God. And he will prove himself. What, where we're, the role we play is when we choose to be a part of that. 
when we are obedient, when we jump into where He's at work, when we jump into what He's doing, and we're obedient to what He tells us to do, that's when we are a part of His name being made great. But the reality is He's God, and His name is going to be great. We're just the ones that get to be a part of it if we, if we allow ourselves to. Chapter 2 uh, God is going to continue kind of his, his reprimand of the priestly leadership, but then he's also going to begin to talk about uh, the impact of marriage. And, and I have that Seven Arrows Bible, and this is, what, this is what the authors or the editors of the Seven Arrows Bible wrote based on chapter 2. It says, marriage is important to God. In fact, it is one of the ways he's chosen to put his love on display. For this reason, people should maintain faithfulness to their spouse throughout their lives. This is important for me, uh, for the author, the editor, because I need to follow God's plan. And what he's saying here is that our, our marriages, our, our love for our spouse, our relationship with our spouse, for those of us who are married, it is intended to be a representation of God's relationship with us. Our marriages are supposed to be a reflection of our relationship with God. The way I love Julie, according to Ephesians, I'm supposed to love Julie like Christ loved the church. It doesn't say that I'm supposed to do this necessarily or I'm supposed to do that. It says I'm supposed to love Julie as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Our marriages, you ought to see in my life, doesn't mean you're, always, you're going to see a perfect marriage because you are not, because Julie is not a perfect person. <laughs> I swear if we have dinner with y'all and y'all say anything to her, I will poke y'all both in the eyes. And she is married to an incredibly imperfect person. But what you will see is you will see an imperfect love trying to be Christ-like. You will see two people trying to figure out how to serve one another. You will see people who have learned how to forgive each other. Because we have, we, and, and that's one of the reasons that we do take, here, here, we take marriage very seriously. And we're going to continue to take it very, because it is intended to be a representation of God's love for us. So that's what chapter 2, chapter 2 is, is God equipping, looking at the priest and saying, you're not doing this right, you need to do it this way. And he's saying, hey, this is what you're doing with marriage and I don't approve of it. But then that brings us to chapter 3. I want you to read the first four verses of chapter 3. And I want you to answer question number 2. And then I want you to read the next five verses of chapter 3 and answer question number 3. On your mark, set, go. Or you see what to read there, do that. Just do the next two read and reacts. So as it is with the people of Israel, there's a, it's a roller coaster. They're up and they're down in their obedience. They, they, they repent. God forgives them. And then eventually turn, they, they get lazy or they get lethargic or they, they didn't have a, a true uh, convert, a repentance season. And, but they, get, they talk to the Lord a lot. There's, there's a lot of, of, of words uh, that are used. I've, I've um, kind of learned in, in my brief time in ministry or even in my brief extent as a parent uh, that I know my children are lying the more words they use to explain the situation. Um, or I, w I noticed uh, when I did uh, benevolence at a church, our, our staff rotated every Thursday and we, we met with people who came in wanting help with lights or, or with groceries or with this, that the it was just one of the things we kind of picked up on was the longer the story, the, the more we felt like there, was, there were some red flags. But the shorter the, hey, this is what's going on, this is where I need help, can you do it? 
we felt like there was a greater need. The more words people use, they're oftentimes maybe trying to hide something. And that's what's happening with, with the nation of Israel. They're talking a lot, but God's not seeing a lot of action. Uh, and so uh, if you look at chapter 2 and then look at verse 17, it says, You've wearied the Lord with your words, yet you ask, How have we wearied Him? When you say everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and He is delighted with them, or else where is the God of justice? So here's what they're asking. Why, how is all this happening to us? Where's the, where's the God of justice? Where's the, where's the God of Israel? Where's the God who's supposed to love us and, and give us what we want and make us you know, the, the, the pride of all the nations? Where's the God of justice? Which then automatically turns God's corner and says, oh, I'll tell you who the God of justice is. I'm going to send my messenger. And that messenger is going to have a messenger, and he's going to clear the way before I send the messenger, and he's going to be my arm of justice. And it's not going to be the kind of justice that you are looking for necessarily. It's going to be the, the end-all, be-all kind of justice. And he's talking about two people in these next, these next the first op- the verses, opening verses of chapter 3. He's talking about John the Baptist, the locust, the, you know, the, the honey, the wild, you know, the, all that, John the Baptist, the baptizer. And he's talking about Jesus. And then he turns the corner again, and he says um, in in verse 5, and you're going to look at this in just a minute, he says, they don't fear me because I've not changed and you've not been destroyed. And then he begins to go back into, this is is again what you're doing. You're robbing me. You're you're, you're taking advantage of me. And he talks about, and this is where we, sometimes we take this out of context, but he is talking about the tithe. He's talking about the bringing your tithes to the storehouse, robbing God with your gifts, and he and he says, you know, uh, bring the who will a man rob God? Verse eight. Yet you're robbing me. How do we rob you? You're not making the the tenth and the contributions. And then he says this: Test me in this way, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. In the midst of all this reprimand, in the midst of all the, the condemnation of their habits and their practices, God's still saying, I've got a, a, I'm going to throw you a rope of hope here. If you will just test me, be obedient, and see if I will not open, open the floodgates and pour out a blessing that will be without measure. I'm, I'm God, and I'm willing to do that if you'll just turn, repent, and be obedient. Well, look at, two, look at that last read and react. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and chapter 4, the first three verses, and answer question number 4. I think I rewrote that wrong, but question, what is an appropriate fear? Of the, look at that one on your mark, set, go. Let me ask this. What does an appropriate fear of the Lord look like? What, what, is, what does he mean by fear of the Lord? Anybody? It's a reverence. It's not a, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. It is, it is an awe. It is a wonder. It is a reverence. I love um, the, the verses in chapter 4, but especially verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. Like, I didn't understand what that meant. I had to YouTube that. That's pretty interesting. They're, I mean, these, these, these calves got it going, man. Like, they get, they get the door open and they are, boom, they're gone. And they're, but their hind legs just keep going up. I mean, they're like, you know, you know it is it, because it's free. They're free. Here we go. I've got all this open range now. I'm going to go. And, and, but for you who fear my name, 
The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you'll go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You'll trample the wicked. There'll be ashes under the soles of your feet. If we have that reverent awe of who He is. Last week we began a journey in our first night of prayer. The the next one's going to be the last Wednesday in April. We're going to continue having these night of prayers because if we're going to be the people of God, if we're going to be the church family that we are called to be, it's going to be through the presence of His Holy Spirit, our, our, our understanding and our obedience to His Word, and our ability to talk to Him and hear His voice through prayer. And what we, one of the things we focused on last week was really just the holiness of God adoring Him, praising Him. After Malachi's prophecy, God would go silent for about 400 years. And that silence would be broken by the announcement of John the Baptist and the announcement of Jesus' birth. And while the people of, of God were... Because were, there were still people of God during that 400 years, while they were wondering... Uh, you've got to know, they were wondering if God had forsaken them. The reality was, according to Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, the reality was God was, was, was waiting for, the, for just the right time to prove His faithfulness and provide redemption for the world. Today, uh, yesterday, everywhere else in the world, it was just Tuesday. But for 10 years in in our lives, yesterday was Mardi Gras and yesterday was Fat Tuesday because today is Ash Wednesday and it begins the Lenten season. Um, By definition, Ash Wednesday is a solemn reminder of our mortality and the need for reconciliation with God. It uh, marks the beginning of, of, of a season that is focused on repentance and prayer and confession. And part of recognizing ourselves as sinners is found in our recognition and our acknowledgement of God as holy. You should have some psalms that are on the, on the paper in front of you. And so for our prayer time tonight, I just want to ask everybody at the table to pick one of those psalms and to read it as a prayer of praise and worship. And I'm going to give you the rest of the time. It's going to be about 10, 11 minutes. I just want you to read a psalm. Everybody pick. There should be one that everybody can pick one. Everybody pick a psalm on that list and just read it as a prayer of praise as we worship and praise the Lord for who He is this evening.